So in the announcement time, I mentioned that, you know, I, I love counsel and I dislike counsel. I dislike counsel getting ready for counsel. As I'm getting ready for counsel each year, I get this reaction in my stomach. My stomach starts to twist and my throat starts to get dry and, and I get really, really uptight and have a lot of anxiety. Now, if I think about that, I, we've never had a bad council meeting here since I've been here. We've never had one where we argued or fought or anything like that. But I have experienced that in a previous church. Now, way back about you know, 15, 20 years ago, we were in a church and we went to a council meeting and it became a knockdown, drag out fight and people were really nasty and very personal and, and they were not acting like God's church at all. It kind of reminds me of why Paul had to write the Corinthian church and to say to them, hey, wait a minute, this isn't who Christians are and this isn't how they act. And so every year when I come to council, I think it's, there's this, this memory and it gets me all bound up inside. And then we come to council and it's like, whew, wasn't that great? Didn't we just have a great time together? <laughs> you know, so I have this sort of double reaction every year. And, and that's one of the reasons we're talking about healing choices right now is this kind of thing. There are often traumas or things that happen in our past that influence our presence in, in a way that's negative. And so we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, if you would bow your head in prayer with me before we begin, let's ask God to lead us. Heavenly Father, we are here to hear from you. And uh, we... We don't want to be just a human device. We want it to be a time where you speak to us and where you touch our bodies and touch our hearts and touch our emotions and, and bring healing, touch our memories, bring healing to those painful memories and those times. And God, I ask that, that you would be completely in charge here this morning. We submit ourselves to you and we ask that you would Teach us anew, bring us a breath of fresh air from you. Lord, reveal yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in part three of a series that we're calling Healing Choices. It's a companion to what we're doing on Wednesday evenings, which is called Life's Healing Choices. And uh, you might wonder, why are we doing healing choices at all? Why are we putting such emphasis on this? Well, because if we're honest with each other, most of us are messed up to some degree. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. How many of you would lift your hands now? How many of you would say that's true of the person sitting next to you? <laughs> we got lots of hands for that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, some of us in here, we have uh, just skipped right over the messes up level, you know, that part, and we've just sort of catapulted all the way to the whacked out level, right? So, you know, we are here in good company this morning. Um, collectively, I, I don't even have to guess very much to know that there is a lot of hurt here this morning, that there is a lot of pain. And, and it's here, even if you don't want to acknowledge that it's here, and, and Maybe you don't even want to acknowledge that it has had a serious effect on your life, and maybe it's affecting you right now. Uh, let's, let's have a, a serious moment of honesty here. If you have had pain, or serious pain, significant pain or hurt in your life, or if you have been wounded at some point, just stick your hand up and keep it up there for a minute, because I want you to look around. 
Look around this room. There, there, that's, there's a lot of people who have had this experience. You can put your hands down now. And this is good. This is great honesty in this group. This means when so many of us have had this experience, this means that this is a place of safety. This is a place where we can kind of breathe for a minute. You're at home. This is a safe place. There are other hurting people here this morning. Uh, one of the things that I've learned is that we are pretty good at covering up our pain. We try to hide that pain. We try to hide the hurts. Uh, you know, we can develop some pretty harmful habits in our lives. And these habits are an attempt to quiet down that voice or cover up that pain. You know, the, the tape that plays, those of you who remember tape. <laughs> I can't even say CD anymore. CDs are phasing out. It's not the MP3 that plays in our head and tells us the negative things. Uh, maybe it's going to be something beyond that pretty soon. But whatever it is, we have that, that thing that in certain situations, you know, we talk about trigger moments sometimes, that, that just kind of triggers that, and up it comes, and there it is, right in front of you in all its glory. You know, a lot of time, our bad habits that we develop uh, are really negative habits, particularly. Um, we, we look at them, and we go, oh, well, that's a character weakness. Uh, I've heard that many times especially about other people. <laughs> but that's not really true. I want to say that it's something different than that. It's more than a character flaw. We are all flawed, and we are all affected by pain in some way. Maybe it'll go. Maybe it won't. Let's try it again. Nope. There's this really cool slide of somebody in pain. There it is. <laughs> when somebody has a negative habit, whether it's you or somebody that you're connected to, um, frequently their hurt or their pain has not really been dealt with. And, and it's kind of screaming out, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. You know, it's the, the habit that we develop is the cover-up. The habit is a disguise. You know, a lot of us, we try to skip the hurt and we try to focus on the bad habit. And it doesn't really matter what bad habit you have. You know, we talked about some of those last week. You know, spending money, uh, drinking, pornography, shopping, television, lying, overeating, undereating, working too much. You know, whatever habit it is, whatever the habit is, it won't stop screaming at you until you get to the hurt of the problem, or the root of the problem. What a lot of us do, I think, is simply say, oh, well, you know, I I'm going to stop drinking if drinking is your problem. And then we try to conquer the habit. But what we often end up doing is we replace it. <laughs> and we don't always replace it with something good or positive um, because we haven't dealt with the hurt. So we just replace it. And it's a kind of a vicious cycle. It leaves you kind of on that doorstep of pain. Uh, maybe misery. Now, tell me if you want this this morning. Do you want that, that we can heal our hurts and we can experience greater joy? Do you want that? Do you want deeper grace in your life, more peace, more enriching relationships, more profound wisdom? Do you want that in your life? You know, we can live out 
God's potential in our lives. How many of you would be interested in living the fullest life that Christ can give us? How many of you? Just, just stick up. Some of you are not sure. It's like, I'm not sure what that means. Take a look at your outline this morning. Um, week one, we talked about the reality choice. That's to realize that I am not God. Admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. And that my life, especially without God, is generally unmanageable. Now, for some of you, this is a really big one. You know, is you, you probably don't go around and say to yourself, I am God. I, I haven't met anybody here yet who I, I think says that unless you say it very quietly somewhere. But you may not say it, but maybe you live your life as if you are. You know, you want to control other people. You want to control what's happening around you. You desperately want to bring order to your world. You want to control your own future. But control is kind of an illusion. If I had total control, do you think I would have hair like this? <laughs> I rest my case. Uh, I relate a lot to the Apostle Paul in, in Romans 7, uh, you know, especially when I'm trying to make changes in my life. And, and he says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, and I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate. When I want to do good, I don't. When I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Anybody relate to that? You feel like that? I do, a lot. <laughs> that was week one, choice one. Now, week two, we talked about the hope choice. To honestly believe that God exists and that I matter to him and that he has the power to help me change. I need to remember that in the, the midst of all these difficulties of life that God can comfort me God is crazy about me. Did you know that about you? He's crazy about you. Regardless of how my hair looks, God still loves me. Say that to yourself when you're getting ready in the morning. He has the power that I don't have. He has the power to transform me, to make me into something wonderful and beautiful. And that gives me hope. That's the good news. That's part of the good news. You know, that's part of the gospel. We don't think of it that way, but that is part of the good news. Just knowing these things, knowing that this is the God we have, that brings me comfort. And I hope it brings you comfort. But it's not going to bring you the healing you need. That sounds contrary, doesn't it? It's not enough. Think about this. There are an awful lot of things in this world that you and I know that don't change our lives. Just knowing these things, knowing about these things, doesn't necessarily bring about change. Knowing that God is God, and he cares, and has the power to change me, these are good things. The Bible says that Satan knew that, and look where he ended up. So thankfully, there's a third choice here. And the third choice is a very critical choice. The third choice is called the commitment choice. And that's where we are today. To consciously choose to commit my life, all my life, and all my will to Christ's care and control. 
You know, at the beginning of Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, there are eight statements that you know about, right, that, that Jesus made. They're called the Beatitudes. They're the first thing in the Sermon on the Mount. These eight blessed statements, and remember that blessed is, is translated uh, in this passage as happy. Happy are the ones who, you know, and it's, and it's not just a, an incidental happiness, a, a situational happiness that goes away. It's closer to joy. And so in, in this verse, in verse 5 of chapter 5, you're going to have to help me out this morning. This thing isn't working at all. So it says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Would you say that with me? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. You know, this must have puzzled the Jews. It really must have. I mean, they had their sights set on a Messiah who could deliver them. And they were longing for a Messiah who could come and conquer Rome and restore them as a people to their rightful position. Now think about it. It's a position of power. After all, this is the Jewish nation. They were God's chosen people. And so it must have been a little bit weird, a little bit puzzling for them to hear, happy are the meek. Blessed are the meek. You can have a full life if you are meek. It just doesn't sound right. They didn't want meekness. They wanted Mel Gibson in Braveheart, you know, paint your face blue and yell, you know, <laughs> victory, freedom. <laughs> they wanted a Messiah to bring about a physical revolution, but Jesus came to bring a different kind of revolution, a spiritual one. Here was this huge crowd, maybe thousands of people, and there aren't any sound systems in those days, and, and maybe some near the back kind of thought, what did he say? He didn't really say that, did he? Blessed are the meek. You know, maybe when you hear that, maybe you think meekness feels kind of mousy. It feels kind of weak. Meekness rubs you the wrong way. But you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, meekness is not an option. In the original Bible, in the original word in Greek, the word for meek is preus which has different levels of meanings. You know, right up here on the surface, if we stay up here, it can mean mild or humble. If we just stay up there, that kind of fits what some people sort of see as a stereotype of a lot of Christians. You know, mild and humble, kind of weak, maybe spineless, kind of wimpy. Christians wear a lot of polyester and say, praise the Lord, you know. Well, it fits the stereotype. But there is a much deeper meaning to the word, and this is what I want you to get this morning. In Greek, the word is often used to describe animals whose naturally wild spirit had to be broken by a trainer so that they could become more useful. Think about an incredible horse. Maybe you like horses. Maybe you don't like horses. But think, think of a horse that can really, really run fast. Or, or a horse you might go by and you're in Amish country and you see horses pulling plows and you think, wow, that's powerful. That's a lot of strength. But it's a tamed stallion. And that's the image that's represented here. It's a definition, the, the way that Jesus used it, and here's something to fill in on your outline this morning. Meek 
is strength under control. That's another slide. There it is. Being meek is more than just being nice. It doesn't mean you lack conviction. It doesn't mean you lack strength. Think of it as courage under fire. You know, that's a kind of strength. It's strength. It's conviction, but it's with a gentle spirit that comes from God in your life. It doesn't come from your own spirit. The spirit of meekness is actually the spirit of Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23 says, Jesus, who suffered for you, is our example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned, and he never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Jesus not only says, blessed are the meek, he actually modeled it. This is the Jesus that we know. He modeled it, and it's how he lived his life. Why? Well, meekness has always been God's way for humanity. Now, let me take you to a different scripture here. In Numbers 12, 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more meek, more than all the men that were on the face of the earth. Now, I don't know about you. I don't think of Moses like that, you know. Uh, but before, if you think about his life, before his relationship with God strengthened, uh, he lost his temper and he murdered a man. He killed a man who was mistreating his people and he had to go on the run. But after, after God came into his life, that was when he became a leader. And that's when he led his people out of captivity he became a great leader because he was brought under control by God's Holy Spirit. So it was by God's Spirit that Moses delivered his people. So let's fast forward to the New Testament. You've got Jesus who's delivering the most important sermon that he delivered. And, and in this sermon he says, happy are the meek. He's calling us to something different. You Remember we said last week that you don't have to meditate too long on these beatitudes before you begin to realize that Jesus is taking what we know and turning it upside down. And that our way is not necessarily his way. But if we follow his way, it takes us where he wants us to go. He's calling us to a different lifestyle. He's calling us to live at a different level. He's calling us to live in a way that, that transcends what everyone seems to settle for. This third choice requires meekness, humility. And meekness is based on God's holiness. Meekness means I acknowledge God's holiness. You know, when I look at myself in light of who God is, I'm very humbled by his righteousness, by his worthiness, by his holiness. Let me break it down for you even more here. Meekness is a confidence in who I am. Uh, but it doesn't mean what we think it means. We're not talking about what you learn in self-help seminars. We're not talking about self-esteem. We're not talking about how much, how much power you can rev up or make yourself feel. We're not talking about reading more in the art of war. 
we're talking about something different. It's a confidence in light of who God is. Let me get really personal with you for a minute. This is who I am. I'm John Peter Walker. I'm a sinner. I am not perfect. I have evil thoughts. Sometimes I misuse my words and, and I can hurt others. I'm fearful at times. I struggle with anxiety and anger. I have things about myself that I really don't like. And I can be all kinds of selfish. But I know that I am not God. The only confidence I have is because of who God is. Well, who is God? You can look at your outline or you can look at the, the screen. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, God, your God, is the God of all gods. He's the master of all masters. A God immense and powerful and awesome. That's the God we serve, right? That's not me. I know what my sins are. I know who I am. And I am not that. And it's also that meekness is a confidence in whose I am. So I know who I am in light of God. But I also know whose I am in a relationship with God. You know, under this, this layer of wickedness that you see, there's something special. Same for you, by the way. There's something very special. And it's inspired by the presence of God. Who are you? Who am I? I'm a child of the king. I'm one of God's children. I'm adopted and welcomed into his family because of what Jesus did for me. Therefore, the Bible says, I put my faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross for me as a payment for my sins. And I become one of him or one of his. I'm not just a creation of God. You know, in this world right now, there are just over 9 billion creations of God. <laughs> but we're in a special category, a different category. We are children of God. 1 John 5 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God. Everyone. In Christ, I've got a new identity. I have a confidence in whose I am. I'm a child of the king. Now, I always loved, Bonnie's dad used to say this a lot. When he talked about, about being like this, being a child of God, he would say, I belong to Christ. He didn't talk about that coming into that relationship as, you know, I found Jesus or I discovered Jesus or whatever. His, his approach was very humble. I belong to Christ. Who do you belong to today? It's an important question. And how you answer that determines the future of your relationship with God. Here's how meekness fits with this third choice. I am not meek. If, if I'm not meek, I can't realize that I'm also broken. If I don't humble myself, I can't 
commit all of myself to Jesus. It's not a weakness. It's a confident humility in who I am and whose I am. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. We're, we're going to break this down into specific phrases that we're going to put together at the end. And, and we're going to make a commitment together. I, I'm telling you up front, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment when we're done this part of the message. First on your outline is the word consciously. Right next to that, I want you to write down, it's my decision. Consciously. I am consciously making a choice. It is my decision to make a choice. And it's your choice. It's not anybody else's choice. You know, sometimes we think because we grew up in a Christian family that, you know, automatically that became imputed to us. We, we received our Christianity through growing up in that Christian home. Or, or maybe we had, you know, somebody who was a preacher in our home or something like that. You know, it doesn't automatically just get passed down. We have to make that decision for ourselves, regardless of who your parents were or how you were raised. You have to make that choice. And consciously, I choose to commit. Next to choose to commit on, the, on that page, maybe right over, if you turn the page over at the top of the page, is I want you to write the words over and over. I choose to commit over and over. I've got to choose that 24-7, 365 days of the year, I've got to choose God's way. I have a choice. Every time I come to any situation, I can go my way or I can go God's way. A lot of times people go, well, I chose God. I think it might have been January of 1997. That might have been when it was. And then they think, well, I'm in. You know, <laughs> I'm in. Nope. This is an over and over thing. Yeah, you, you might be in the kingdom of God. Yes, you've crossed the line, but it doesn't end there. It continues on. Every day we commit ourselves to Jesus over and over again. You know, as a pastor, I have to decide Am, am I going to choose my own agenda or am I going to try to listen to God and choose God's agenda? And there are a lot of times I have to stop and have a talk with God because I realize I'm not going where he wants me to go. I, I have very weird conversations with him. Maybe you have conversations like this. I, I might say to him, Lord, I know that right now I'm upset and I said this, but maybe that's not how you want me to speak or to act. Maybe that's not what you want me to choose. Okay, Lord. Okay. I get it. I give it all to you right now. I'm giving it to you right now. I'll do what you want. You ever have those kind of conversations? You kind of, you know, you catch yourself. And, and I think it's the Holy Spirit prompting us. And, and we catch ourselves and we go to God and we go, hey, I realize I'm not going where you want me to go. I'm angry, and God says, I want you to pray for that person, you know? Every Sunday, I, I pray over my sermon. I pray, not my words, Lord, but your words. Not my words, but your words. I, I'm acknowledging that, yeah, I wrote this sermon believing that God led me to this point to, to preach on this subject, but I also acknowledge that 
I might have it wrong. And I go to the Lord and just say, you know, maybe if I, if I have it wrong, Lord, take me wherever you want me to go. Because I know my own pride. I know my own sinfulness. So I need to commit over and over again to choose God. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've had some hurts. And your first instinct is to walk away. Walk away from a friendship. Walk away from a group you're in. Maybe even walk away from the church. But you know, you know that you need to obey God. And you know that you need to be part of a community where you're known and you're loved and you're cared for and you have people breathing into you life. Because in fellowship together, that spirit of God is shared. Maybe you've got 25 reasons why you shouldn't be involved in some group, but God is tugging at your heart. The question is, do you obey God? Or do you go your own way? It's your choice. The Bible says this in Romans 6.16. It says, don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin, but that leads ultimately to death. Or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. You've got to make that choice over and over again. Am I going to choose God's way? I'm going to choose my own way. So I consciously choose to commit. Now here's the big part. This is the, the really hard part. All my life and will. That's what it says in your outline. Right next to that I want you to write everything. Everything. All my life and will is what I'm committing. Everything. This is a part of the choice that separates those who walk authentically with God and intimately with Jesus, and those who are just casual, occasional fans. You remember that book, Not a Fan? I think sometimes we're just fans of God. And it's all, it all comes down to the word all, right? All means everything. Choosing a commitment to Jesus is not about half measures. He wants everything. It's, it's not like you can say, oh, Jesus, here's a leaf. Oh, and here's another leaf. Oh, I got a branch. Here, let me give you this branch. And Jesus says, nope, I want the whole tree. I want it all. I want every part of it. You know, there's a cost in this, right? It costs us to do this. The cost is everything. That's not my words. I'm just a messenger. Here's what it says in Luke. No one can become my disciple without giving up everything for me. No one can become my disciple without giving up everything for me. All of my life, all of my will. I think a lot of us get choked up on that word all <laughs> because we're afraid. You know, we're afraid if we give him everything, he's going to send us to be a missionary in Africa <laughs> or some other kind of fear. I think here's, here's why I think we do choke on that word, all or everything. I think it's because we've kind of made Jesus a merit badge. You know? We, we've got the Jesus badge. We earned it because we went to church and we tithe and we're in a small group and we occasionally read the Bible and so now we got our Jesus badge. But one of the reasons I think that you and I are stuck 
in our hurts and habits or hang-ups is because Jesus is only one of a group of things that we pin to our chest. It's one of the reasons why we can't deal with a lot of the pain and the hurts and things that happen in our lives because Jesus just occupies one space instead of your whole life. It's got to be all. This third choice we're talking about today, it requires that I commit all of my life to Jesus. And it doesn't mean that those other roles in my life disappear. I, I don't stop being a father. I don't stop being a husband. They're just not the ruling force in my life. Jesus is the ruling force. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus is not an extra. Jesus is everything. And he's the guiding force in my being a father or a husband, or at least he should be. Jesus is not a bonus. He's not an extra. He's God. It's not about me gathering some more points with God so I can rev up the will to make a change in my life. It's about committing my all to his power to change me. You're breathing? So I consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. Now here's the last part. Christ's care and control. Next to that, I want you to write three words. He loves me. He loves me. That's what Christ's care and control is. He loves me. It's him expressing his love. In week one, we talked about how he's in control. In week two, we talked about how he's crazy about you and cares for you. And for some of you today, you know, maybe that's the only thing you need to hear. For some of you, maybe you needed to hear that Jesus is crazy about you, and that's great. That he loves you, that he wants to have an intimate and authentic relationship with you. Maybe that's what you need to hear. Some of you might be saying, you know, I'm hurting and I'm wounded. And I'll say, I know. And he cares. He was wounded on the cross and died for your sins. He cares. If you have a relational loss in your life right now, he cares. If you have a financial loss in your life right now, he cares. If you're struggling with a secret habit in your life that's killing you and you don't want to tell anybody about it and you feel trapped, he knows and he cares. When you commit all of your life to the will and the control of Christ, the Spirit of God enters into you and fills you with love and a new desire. That's not just empty words. So many of us have experienced that. But you've got to walk on his path and not on your own. When you commit all of your life to the will and the care of Christ, the Spirit of God enters you and fills you with something new. In your outline this morning, under what we just wrote, you'll see that there's a verse there from Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. The, the verse says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. It is a really good verse to memorize. If you're a memorizer, it's a really good one to remember because it reminds you that Jesus cares and that you can come to him when you're hurting. One more time, let me just say this commitment choice. Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. For some of you, 
You might be saying to yourself, there, there's got to be something better than the way I'm living right now. And there are a lot of testimonies in the church that will say to you back, there is a better way. There is something better. So my final question for you this morning is, will you commit all of your life and will over to the care and the control of Jesus Christ? Will you choose to commit everything to God? This is the God who not only created you, but he loves you enough to change you. To make the commitment, we have to be meek. We have to be humble. We have to drop our pride and say, my way is not working. And we have to pick up his love and grace and his forgiveness and let it seep into our lives and, and change us. We have to soak it in. Let's pray together. Lord, it is a treat to be alive. Thank you for your love for us. We don't want to take life for granted. And we pause to say thank you. Thank you for loving us without any conditions. Thank you for saying that you will give us rest if we give everything to you. God, I know there's a lot of tension happening in hearts right now. And I know that if you want us to give everything, that you'll come and do something very special in our lives. And, and if you're sitting here this morning and you're ready to do that, either here at church or at home, ju just say in your heart, God, I want a relationship with you. Come into my life. Forgive me. I know that Jesus died on a cross to pay for my sin. I repent. I turn from my sins. I turn from my own path. I want to walk in your way. Help me really start that new life. God, forgive me. I, I'm sorry that I've made you one of many instead of the main thing. And I'm sorry for turning my back on you for not being all in. Lord, right now, I'm in. I commit myself to you. I recommit my life to the journey of giving you everything. God, I'm so thankful that you somebody, you use somebody as broken and as weird and as fallible as I am. We thank you as we came here today to celebrate how great you are. In light of who you are, we know who we are and whose we are. For that, we're very thankful. And we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.